Good morning. That was enthusiastic for a new year. Good morning. That's better. Start off the new year right. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. If you happen to be using a Bible out of the seats there, it's on page 562. Back in 1961, when I was just a youngin, a meteorologist named Edward Lawrence designed a computer program. That's right, a computer program in 1961 to simulate and forecast weather patterns. One day, Lawrence was in a hurry. He had to make a meeting, and so instead of entering .506127, he rounded down to the nearest thousandth and just put in .506. Lawrence figured that one one thousandth of one percent would be inconsequential. Was he wrong? (laughs) When he returned to the lab later in the day and rebooted his computer, he discovered a radical difference in weather conditions. So in 1963, he published a paper outlining the fact that very small changes in initial conditions can produce very large effects in eventual outcomes. A fellow meteorologist noted that if Lauren's theory was correct, then one flap of a seagull's wings would be enough to alter the course of the weather forever. Well, over the years, that metaphor evolved. And since butterflies are more beautiful than seagulls, in 1972, at a gathering of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, Edward Lawrence delivered a talk entitled, Does the flap of a butterfly's wing in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? Well, his theory grew wings, (laughs) pun intended, and became known as the butterfly effect. Simply put, that small changes in input can produce big differences in output. Now, folks, what's true in science is also true in life. Small changes in input can produce big differences in output. You are one decision away from a totally different life. Just one decision. It might be one risk, one change, one idea. It might be a difficult decision. It might be a crazy idea, maybe a huge risk, but one change as small as one one one-thousandth of one percent extrapolated across time and space and extrapolated by God's grace, that can change the course of your eternity. And that's what this new sermon series is about. You see it on the screen, we're calling it Reboot. Reboot. You don't have to make a hundred changes. In fact, good luck with that. What you do need to do is to be a hundred percent committed to one one thousandth percent change. And if you are, then it's game on. So, Happy New Year. 
And welcome to New Hope Christian Church. We're going to begin a new message, series of messages for this month entitled Reboot. This word reboot traces its origins all the way back to a little phrase coined in 1852 by John Carter when he referred to pulling oneself up by one's bootstraps. The idea at that time to reboot was to get back up after getting knocked down. You could say it's it's fighting one more round. Now, as computers came to be more prevalent through the 1970s and 1980s, this word reboot took on a new meaning with the advent of personal computers. And so to reboot was to shut your computer down for the purpose of restarting the operating system. And that's probably the way we think of this word more than anything else today. To reboot is to restart. And that's what we're going to talk about this month. And so that's why we're going to Psalm 51. That's where we're going to end up. Now, I believe that spirituality is practicality. It's practical. Jesus said wisdom is proved right by her children. In other words, the proof is in the pudding. And so if indeed, as I believe it's practical, I thought it might be interesting for me to share one of the ways that I reboot. So here's an example. And this may seem to you like a silly place to start, but here we go. One of the ways that I reboot nowadays is with a nap. Can anybody identify with that? Okay, a nap. Luke 8 verse 23 says the disciples were sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and what was Jesus doing? He was taking a nap, that's right. He was sleeping. I think that's a great verse in the Bible. You know, there was a study done by NASA that found that astronauts who took a 26-minute nap increased productivity by 34%. Pretty good. I think if I was running for political office, that one of my planks would be a national nap time. I think we would be a happier group of people, a healthier group of people. I think we would be nicer if we could just somehow take a nap, something to just reboot our brains. That's what happens, I think, when I take a nap. And sometimes it's just five minutes or ten minutes, okay, but that nap reboots my brain. And I think one trick to life, and it's true whether it's rebooting your brain or rebooting your body or rebooting your spirit, is that you've got to find ways to restart your operating machine. That internal stuff in you. Now, maybe it's not a nap for you. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's 20 minutes of push-ups. Or 20 minutes of push-ups. How about 20 push-ups? How about two push-ups? All right. Or maybe it's stretching. Or maybe it's a brisk walk around the block or whatever. Maybe it is a nap, but we need those things to reboot our operating system. And that doesn't happen by default. It happens by design. And the way you reboot is by reestablishing the right routines. This isn't complicated, folks. It's about restarting those operating systems by reestablishing the right routines. And so here's a question. 
What daily disciplines do you need to put into place to get where you need to go by the end of this year? What is it you need to do to reboot in 2023? And we'll talk about some different things in the weeks to come. But here's the key. Whatever it is that you need to do, it better be specific because generic reboots don't work. It needs to be specific. You say, well, I want to lose weight. I want to read more. I, I, I want to complain less. Well, good for you, but it's not going to happen. Not when it's a generic reboot like that because there's no way to tell whether or not you were really successful. You've got to define the win. You've got to make it measurable. So if you say, well, I want to lose 10 pounds in two months, there you go. That's what we're talking about. I want to read a book a month. You probably will. Why? Because now it's measurable. Now it's specific. And I think that's an expression of faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Reboot. Now let me switch gears a little bit. I think the key to spiritual growth is having a routine. We call them spiritual disciplines, reading the Word of God, prayer, Bible study, uh, uh, church attendance, the different things, you know, giving, those spiritual disciplines. We need a routine, but once a routine becomes routine, you need to change the routine. Now, did you understand that? Once your routine becomes routine, you need to change the routine. It's called the law of requisite variety. You have to reboot. I mean, if you go to the gym and you exercise the same way every time, eventually your body will adapt and those exercises will lose their effectiveness. And so what you need to do is change the sequence, change the routine. Change the exercise, and by doing so, you will confuse your muscles, and then it will become more effective at that point. I think the same thing is true spiritually. Let me give you an example. I don't know how many years I've done it now. A bunch. I read the Bible through every year, cover to cover. And for several years, I have used the Bible reading plan that you find in the Lookout magazine. I'm going to do it different this year. I'm going to change the routine and confuse my brain maybe in doing it, and maybe it's going to help me remember more. There's going to be things I hope that I pick up instead of doing four sections of Scripture today, starting in Genesis and, and wherever else it goes, and Matthew and one of the epistles. I'm going to change that routine, and I think it will benefit me. Okay, when you went off to college, those of you that went off to college, they probably had a freshman orientation day, didn't they? Yeah, and they wanted to orient you to the campus and certain rules and procedures. You know, Jesus didn't have an orientation day with his disciples. He had a disorientation day because they were stuck in the routine of Old Testament thinking. And so he did a disorientation they were confused most of the time, which was by intent, because that's how we learn. That's how we grow. 
How many times did Jesus say to them, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you, and he tried to disorient those Old Testament brains they had. It was no longer an eye for an eye. It was love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. The first shall be last. The greatest among you will be a servant of all. It was, it was mind-blowing. He was rebooting their brains. And I think that's what we need to do. When the routine becomes routine, change the routine. Now, I told you to go to Psalm 51. And so here we go. We're going to take a look at this. But let me give you the backstory. You probably know, but David had just made one of the biggest mistakes of his life. He had had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. He made a second mistake by trying to cover up the first mistake, and he has Bathsheba's husband killed. In essence, David is guilty of murder now, as well as adultery. What's interesting is that Bathsheba's husband is not a stranger to David. In 2 Samuel 23, there is a list of David's mighty men, 37 of them in all, and the very last name listed is the name of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. So David betrayed one of his mighty men, possibly one of his best friends, maybe even a close confidant. Now, fortunately, there was a prophet called Nathan that was bold enough and loving enough to go and confront the king with his sin and rebuke him. And there was a king, David, that was wise enough to repent. So David is racked with guilt. Bathsheba has conceived and eventually gives birth to the child. But then they lose their child. The child dies. So now David's also writhing with grief. And so you've got guilt and you've got grief. And when you've got guilt and you've got grief, this prayer that David prays in Psalm 51 is a pretty good prayer to pray. Have mercy on me, O God. Notice the first four verses here. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Go down to verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Here's a definition 
Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. David prayed, have mercy on me, O God. He's pleading with God, O God, do not give me what I deserve. What did David deserve? Death by stoning. That was the Old Testament penalty for adultery. And David is pleading for God not to give him what he deserves. That's what mercy is. Now with Jesus, God made him that had no sin to become sin. Actually a sin offering for us. Your sin debt was paid at full at Calvary's cross. You remember when Jesus said, it is finished. That was an accounting term. That referred to the last payment of a debt. Your sin debt was paid in full. Mercy is sin forgiven, sin forgotten. It's the finished work of Christ. It's a clean slate. It's a fresh start. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Now, one of my favorite promises is found in Lamentations 3.23. And part of that verse says, his mercies are new every morning. New every morning. So let me back up the truck just a little bit. Because in Lamentations 3, Jeremiah, before he declares that promise, Jeremiah is pointing his finger at God, making some pretty strong statements at God. Listen to what he says in Lamentations 3. God has turned his hand against me. God has broken my bones. God has buried me in a dark place. God has walled me in. God has shut out my prayers. God has drawn his bow and made me a target for his arrows. Listen, there's a God in heaven that can handle your honest thoughts and your honest feelings. And he wants nothing less than that. It is okay to not be okay. And Jeremiah is not okay here. And he's pointing the finger of God. And here's his self-assessment. He says, peace has been stripped away. Everything I had hoped for is lost. My suffering is bitter beyond words. And I will never forget this awful time. You ever felt like that? You see, I don't think you can appreciate his mercies as new every morning if you don't understand everything that leads up to that. It's darkest before the dawn. You can't have a comeback without a setback. There are moments of life where it seems like God's a day late and a dollar short. But what I've learned is that's the moment when God shows up with his grace and his mercy. God is rarely early, but he's never late. And I love what Jeremiah declares after pointing the finger at God After assessing his situation, here's what he says after he's made all those accusations at God. He says, yet I will dare to hope when I remember this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Imagine a little European type city with cobblestone streets. And all of these little quaint shops there lining that street. 
and you see an old weathered sign hanging outside of one of the shops, and it says, Mercy Shop. The sign in the window says, Open. So you walk up to the door, and there's no lock on the door, because it's never closed. You walk in, you notice there's no cash register, because mercy is free. The owner says, what would you like? And your answer is mercy. He smiles, he takes your measurements, he goes in back, he reappears about as quickly as he disappeared. He said, I've got good news, because mercy's never out of stock. You try it on, fits like a glove. You get up, you get ready to leave, and as you go to the door, the owner says with a smile, thanks for coming, and then with a wink of his eye, he says, I'll see you tomorrow. His mercies are new every morning. And that word new in the Hebrew language is the word hadas, and it means new as in different, different. It means new as having never experienced it before. Today's mercy is different than yesterday's mercy or the day before or the day before. Let me put it this way. Just as the seasonal flu vaccine changes from year to year because of a different strain of flu, so God's mercy changes from day to day because of a different strain of sin. His mercies are new every morning. If I were to have you get your smartphone out, if you had one, and go to the calculator app on your phone, I would want you to take your age and multiply it by 365. Take your age, multiply it by 365, hold on to that number if you can, and then count the number of days also from your last birthday until today. Let me give you an example. My birthday is April the 12th, and so it's been 264 days since my last birthday. And so I add that to the number of years that I am old times 365. I'm 64 years old, and my total days of life thus far on this earth is 23,624 days. That's how many different strains of mercy that God has given me. That's mind-boggling. And to just say, thank you, God, for your mercy in a very generic fashion is to misunderstand and underestimate the potency of God's mercy that is new and different every single day. If you're 25 years old, that's 9,125 strains of mercy. If you're 50, it's 18,250. If you're 90, it's 32,850 strains of mercy. And the older you get, the more grateful you should be. And if you want to reboot spiritually, this is where it starts. It starts with Jeremiah's promise. That his mercies are new every morning. It starts with David's prayer. Have mercy on me, O God. And here's the amazing thing. Mercy is just half the equation. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. But there's this thing called grace. And it's the opposite side of the coin. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. You've heard that before. In other words, it's the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. 
David says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me, in verse 10. In verse 11 he says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12 says, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. David is saying, God, reboot my heart. Reboot my mind. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Now be honest with me. On a scale of 1 to 10, what's your level of joy today? Probably hadn't stopped to think about that yet. But listen, folks, this is a critical gauge of how we understand God's mercy. And let me tell you how I think you can go from a 3 to a 5 or a 7 to an 8 or maybe even a 9 to a 10. Joy is not getting what we want. Joy is appreciating what we have. And don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right about God. I love what David is doing here. He's refocusing on the mercy of God, refocusing on the love of God and the goodness of God and the grace of God, and that's how we reboot spiritually, by reminding ourselves of who God is. Now let me close with this. Reboot is not just a computing term. That's what we think of it most often today to do with our computers. But it's also a narratology term. There's a new word for you. Narratology. The study of narrative and narrative structures. There's a lot of narrative in the Bible. And the ways that these narratives affect human perception. So in that context... A reboot is restarting a storyline. An author would know this, okay? It's restarting a storyline, but here's the key. It's also discarding all previous continuity. Now stick with me. The Bible calls Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. And there's got to come a moment in your life where you allow, allow God to begin writing his story through you. And what that means is this. His mercy enters the equation, and guess what happens? Now the past is the past. And now he can begin to move into the future with faith because there's a God that wants to reboot your story. Now in the Bible he did it several times. And oftentimes when he did it, he would rename those people. He would call Abram, Abraham, when he rebooted Abraham's story, and tells him, you're going to be the father of many nations. He calls Simon, Peter, and says, on this rock of your confession, I'm going to build my church. He calls Saul, that Herb talked about, who was a terrorist, Paul, who's going to end up writing half the New Testament, go on three missionary journeys where he spreads the good news of the gospel across continents. And so God rewrites their story. He reboots their story. And he wants to do the same thing in each of one of our lives. His grace and mercy enter our lives when we're willing to submit to him 
and accept Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and then we're baptized into Him, immersed into Christ for the remission, the forgiveness of our sins, our past becomes the past. And as far as the east is from the west, that's how far He's removed our transgressions from us. All previous continuity is discarded. God reboots the story of our life. We get a clean slate. Praise God. And if you're already a Christian, if you've already done that, then a reboot for a new year is just yours for the asking. And all you need to do is do what David did. Repent. Repent. That's what David was doing when he wrote the words to Psalm 51. He was repenting and asking God to reboot his life. You need to do that today. Does the name John Bunyan ring a bell? He wrote a book entitled Pilgrim's Progress, and it might be the second best-selling book behind the Bible. But he also did an autobiography entitled Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And in that book, Bunyan divides his life into three stages, all of them symbolized by a pair of scales. In the first stage... Bunyan wondered if God could ever forgive his sin. The scales, scales of justice tipped towards fear and toward despair. But then one day he discovered 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where the Lord tells Paul, my grace is sufficient. And he said that's the day that the scales went even and it changed his life. But there was a third stage because Bunyan discovered that he had missed the last two words of that verse. That verse is not four words, my grace is sufficient, as great as that would be. But no, it says my grace is sufficient for you. For you. And you and you and you for all of us. And it's different for each of us. It's different every single day. And John Bunyan said... Every word was a mighty word to me. My grace is sufficient for you. Four words aren't enough. Hebrews 4.16 says, We can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And listen, you need God's mercy and you need God's grace just as much as I do. And I pray that those last two words, for you, would grip your heart today. The mercy shop is open. There's grace with your name on it. His grace is sufficient for you. And if you desire at the beginning of 2023, on today, the very first day of a new year, if you desire to have God reboot your life, this is where it starts. It starts by repenting of your sin and falling upon the mercy and the grace of the Lord. And I guarantee you, it'll be sufficient for you. Now, if you're here today and you've never experienced God's grace, getting what you don't deserve, and if you've never experienced God's, God's, or <laughs> if you've never experienced God's mercy, not getting what you do deserve, and God's grace, getting what you don't deserve, you can receive it today. His mercy, His grace, it's free. It's available to you, 
but you have to believe it to receive it. And maybe today you need to walk into that mercy shop and simply ask for it. And it will be sufficient for you. Now we're going to be talking about more ways to reboot this month, but this is where it starts. By falling upon the mercy of God and the grace of God and pleading with him as David did for a new start. And if you need to do that today, you can do that as we stand in worship. If you've already done that and you're looking for a home church to call your own, what a great way to start off a new year. And we would love to start off our new year by having you to become part of our family of believers here. Whatever your decision, you make it as we stand, as we worship.